The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 134. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave heart, Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is wearing a red thing. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who, both new and old. And today we're discussing an older episode, The Fourth Doctor, called Revenge of the Cybermen. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well. Folks, remember, if you uh, are listening to the podcast on a website or someone sent you a file, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. Uh, and subscribing also helps us and increases the, the statistics that Apple and the other directories use to show how popular an ep- uh, a show is and shows it to more people. So you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts and Google Play on Stitcher, on TuneIn, in your favorite podcast app. Uh, or even on YouTube, where our YouTube channel, if you look for StarQuest on YouTube, uh, we are the, or SQPN, one of those two will get you there. Uh, and then you should hit the bell uh, once you subscribe to make sure that you get notifications of new episodes. So uh, today's episode, like I said, is about the, the, the title is The Revenge of the Cybermen. It was broadcast in 1975. It's four distinct episodes in the one story, as they were at this time in the, in the Doctor Who history. Uh, it's Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, along with Harry Sullivan and Sarah Jane Smith. And this is the the Doctor's fourth season. It's the toward the end. It's the end. The end. Yeah, yeah. The last serial, the last story of the fourth season. Um, as you know, we're we're kind of doing the fourth Doctor, the beginning of his run and the middle of his run because he it's longer than everybody else's. So we want to make it even as we discuss these in order. Uh, so uh, this is the, is this the fourth season or the first season for the? It, well, it's it's the first season for Tom Baker. So Okay, that's what it is. I was getting that mixed up. Yeah, so he's, uh, when when Sarah Jane is like interacting with him, I was thinking, you know, a year ago she was interacting with John Pertwee as the right, third doctor. Right. And so this is all still early days for him. Okay, so this is his first season. That's right. So uh, we're still on Space Station Nerva. I mean, this has been pretty much this whole season, uh, uh, pretty much, except for the last serial, which I'll talk about in a second, has taken place uh, on or around this space station that they first traveled to. The whole season has been kind of a story arc, and it was kind of interesting, too, because they filled up Tom Baker's first season with the Daleks and then the Cybermen right after. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Also, I thought it was an interesting cost-saving measure. For them to have uh, setting everything around Nerva. Um, Nerva presumably is named after the Roman emperor Nerva, who reigned very briefly at the very end of the first century. He was the 
Um, he was the emperor right after Domitian, who persecuted Christians or is alleged to have persecuted Christians. Really, there's not good evidence for that, but that's his reputation. Um, and so it's interesting. They kind of picked the name of a minor Roman emperor for this. Uh, this is also the only time that we see the Cybermen as the villains in Tom Baker's run. So despite the fact we see him all the stinking time on the show now, um, that we really had not had a uh, Cyberman story with them since um, uh, since Patrick Troughton's time. I don't believe they right. were a main villain during the uh, during John right. Pertwee's time. Yeah, the, the, the invasion it, in 1968 was the previous time that they'd shown up. Yeah, right. And and they're not going to show up again until sometime in the fifth Doctor's Earthshock. run, yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. well, and it's also like you meant you, you uh, uh, mentioned is we had the Daleks. This follows on Genesis of the Daleks, which is sort of an interruption of the Nerva theme. The we talked about this before when when this was in theaters, when they when they put Genesis of the Daleks in theaters last uh, a year, about a year ago. Something like that. Uh, as we're recording this, something like that. Uh, but it's so that was sort of an interim thrown in there. The the, the Time Lords plucked the Doctor out from space station Nerva and threw him in at the, at the Daleks on Scarrow, uh, just to, as a sort of an interim story. And then now we're back to Nerva, which is interesting that, that we had. Yeah. That. And so at the beginning of the episode, Harry and Sarah and the doctor are still spinning through space with the time ring, which brings them back to Nerva. But the TARDIS hasn't shown up yet because they're not in the same time frame. They're thousands of years earlier. And so they have to wait for the TARDIS to come back for them. At the Time Lords, right. you know, control under the Time Lords' control, and that that got me to thinking about how this is before the Great Solar Flare disaster that uh, led everybody to uh, either move out of the solar system or take haven on Nerva. And so, Nerva Beacon is really built to last. I mean, this is thousands of years earlier. Yeah. Yes, it, apparently, uh, yeah they they've they've made this uh, station very durable. And it's been obviously <laughs> remodeled a few times. Yeah. Right, right. The the crewmen though are not as durable. They as soon as they get there, they find crewmen who they announce have been dead for two weeks, even though there's a sterile atmosphere, so there's no real decomposition. Making me wonder how do they know it's been two weeks? And then they find lots of dead mannequins with multiple arms detached <laughs> from the bodies under their uniforms. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mannequins were quite obvious. Um the, the, then one of the things I was gonna mention was like we have this TARDIS separation. And and so they're they're kind of stuck on this this station waiting for the TARDIS to show up, and that's one of the things is they're like, well, maybe the TARDIS like we we landed at this transmat on one end of the station, maybe the TARDIS is in the other transmat chamber, and we have to make our way there. Um, and and we also see that there are a couple of crew members left. This at the time the show the the story begins, there's three crew members left who are manning the station, and the station exists where it is as a beacon. Sort of as a a lighthouse, a space lighthouse. Yeah. There's a new asteroid that showed up as a, in orbit of Jupiter, and they have to warn all returning ships, which mm-hmm. go out for up to thirty years, apparently, yeah. that they go out there. Uh, and this, so this mission for this station has to has to last for the next thirty years. Um, but um, I'm, that also made me wonder, like, so they they can't update everybody on the internet. <laughs> well, apparently the internet doesn't reach out beyond the station, the the system. But well, I'm wondering. So the station's quarantined, so they're not sending any new crewmen out. They're not sending. So 
how exactly are these three guys who are not spring chickens <laughs> supposed to last for 30 years? Warning people on uh, off of this uh, asteroid. I, but, you know, I I assumed that the quarantine was a temporary measure right. until they could deal with the plague one way or another. Exactly. Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, but they are telling uh, the ships that there there's a plague epidemic. Um, but they're not telling people that everybody else is dead. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of keeping that uh, close to the rest. Uh, there, so there are three men left doing the work of fifty, and the asteroid that they're guarding is they they get this faint signal from it the the guy who's manning the uh the the state the the, the control board uh they get this faint signal from it and this fourth person on board is this scientist a xerographer which is sort of a cartographer i suppose of space yeah outer cartographer of strange off-world places so it's like an astrogeographer and he's he's there because he's surveying the asteroid that's what his job is to survey it and he he's trying to convince this guy that there's no way he could have received a signal from this asteroid and so this sort of sets the stage he's acting squirrely the other guys are just all kind of shell-shocked from the disaster of everyone dying uh and the doctor and and the companions have have come on board in the midst of this now the secret Uh, of the asteroid is it's the lost planet voga or the planet of gold, and that's going to become important here because it turns out that Cybermen have a vulnerability. They, their powers don't work on anything yellow. I mean, <laughs> the gold clogs up their uh, their ventilation ports. Right. And uh, so this is the first time this cyber vulnerability has been revealed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we They haven't been vulnerable to this before. The last, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It comes back. Oh, okay. Um, there's a very notable scene with someone's gold uh, mathematical yes. badge for excellence later on. Oh, I see. Um, but uh, but in any event, they uh, apparently were in a war some a long time ago and all and got defeated because humans invented something called the glitter gun <laughs> that would use gold to clog up their uh, ventilation system. And Voga, since it's chock full of gold uh, which actually looks like limestone when we get mm-hmm. to see it but they tell us it's gold um is is a big threat to them so the cybermen are going to want to blow up the, the voga and the inhabitants of voga who've taken to living underground because they know the cybermen are a threat to them the vogans obviously want to stop that and and given the closeness of the name to another famous <laughs> name in science fiction history i just constantly was thinking about the Vogan constructor fleet during this whole story. Well, and given uh, uh, Douglas Adams' connection to Doctor Who, you you think there has to be some sort of connection. So this is the first time we've seen them, right? First and only time. Also, the Vogans have a Time Lord Celtic 8 symbol in in the background and stuff, and it's like so totally the Time Lord symbol. (laughs) So... Kelman is this professor, and he insists that the asteroid has no life in it. Uh, and and this asteroid had been drifting through space until it entered our system fifty years previously. So it's it's been drifting in space. That's mm-hmm. a, a key thing. It's uh, now um, the thirteenth satellite of Jupiter because they didn't know Jupiter had over sixty right. satellites when um, <laughs> when they filmed this. Right. Uh, apparently, Leda the the the, the which was the 13th one found, uh, had only just been discovered in 1974. So the news must not have gotten out to the writers even before that. 
so that's interesting and all. Uh, yeah, and there are. Yeah, the, when once Voyager got there, uh, there we found many, oh, many, yes. many more the and, Voyager probe and continue to. Yes. Uh, are the aliens supposed to look like they're wearing masks, or is that their face? That's their face. That's it's their face. Very bad masks. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. I kind of I kind of like the character design. I mean, it's not well executed. It's not like it would be today, yeah. but given the budget they had, mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job. They the Vogans have really textured costumes. Their clothing is is different from one character to another. They're not all wearing just simple jumpsuits. They they have it's kind of it kind of looks like Narn mm-hmm. fashions in mm-hmm. some cases. It's it's a lot more complex. They have um they do have kind of bulbous mask like heads but their skin colors are slightly different uh from each other some of them are more gold tinted others are more gray tinted others are a little more like tan tinted and so i liked that they also have notably different hair uh some of them are bald some of them are not bald they all have white hair but it's arranged differently on their heads uh the leader has a an awesome beard the Security chief has a little goatee. Others are clean shaven. So they're making an effort to make them look yes. different from each other. With the Cybermen, mm-hmm. they're all the same, except the cyber leader has a black headdress, so we know which yep. one he is. Right, right. And the the interesting thing uh, was that with the masks, they spent more time integrating them into the faces of the actors uh, for the the more major characters. But the security guards and the you know the red shirts in the background. Uh, it was yeah. clearly they didn't spend a whole lot of time with us. So the the key thing with with Kelman, so we to kind of unpack it a little bit. So Kelman is a human scientist who discovered the Vogans on the planet and has been keeping their existence secret and the fact that the planet is made of gold uh, secret from the rest of the humans. He is a double agent who is working for the Vogans in order to uh, perp- perpetrate a ruse. On the Cybermen who are coming to blow up the Vogan planet, that they're go- the Cybermen will land on Nerva, and then the Vogans will launch a missile at the station to destroy the Cybermen uh, and and thus defend themselves, but also killing everyone on board the station. And but in order to accomplish this, Kelman has to pretend to be an agent for the Cybermen, right, including killing off the entire human crew. I know what is up with that. Um, I'm not sure what the point of that was. Yeah, I know because the the way it's set up, we're led to believe that he's just an agent for the Cybermen, and the Cyber Leader even tells us that he's been promised great rewards for helping them. He's going to be the ruler of the solar system once they conquer it, and then he re- then they reveal to us no, he's actually working for the for the Vogans, and. It's not mm. clear at all what they've promised him, if anything. Gold. He's just suddenly... Probably gold. Maybe, maybe gold, <laughs> but it, it suddenly seems to be he's a good guy, except he's been killing right. all these humans, and he, when the doctor arrived, he accelerated the arrival of the Cybermen, which caused a problem with the Vogan plan to use a missile, and so it kind of falls apart when you think about it. They, they haven't really thought through this character's motivations very well. I don't... I don't think this guy's supposed to be a good guy no. at all, even though he's a double agent. I think he's bad in both directions. Well, I, I, you know, I, I agree. He, you can read him that way, but he's not since he since the Vogans are good guys, and he's working for the Vogans. He's kind of on the right side, even though he's personally slimy. <laughs> um, 
but they still have not thought through his motives clearly enough because he does things in the first half of this story that are very consistent with him being an agent for the Cybermen and looking out for their interests, but that are not looking out for the interests either for the Vogans or his own race humans. And it just it doesn't make sense once you know he's not just a cyber agent. I thought from the at first that he was I thought it was clear that he was a Vogan agent for, when he was trying to convince mm-hmm. the controller that there was no signal from the planet. Mm. Uh, and when he destroyed the tape of the of the communication. Yeah. By the way, love the love the big spools of, oh, yes. of thin magnetic tape we've got in these computers thousands <laughs> yeah, of years from very, now. <laughs> you know, 1970s era tape recorder. <laughs> yes. That audibly plays backwards yep. as you pull the tape out of it. <laughs> so, um, the Kelman the, accuses the doctor of bringing the plague to the to the station, um, you know, into the rest of the station. But he doesn't seem all that concerned. Um, the controller gets attacked. The, uh, I, I should be careful because we're talking about Cybermen, and I don't want to mix things up. Right. The guy who's yeah. working in the control room, the human, the human. Gets attacked by a Cybermat. A big one. A, yeah. Big streamlined uh, yes. Cybermat. These are not like the Cybermats in uh, in Patrick Troughton's time in the Wheel in Space. These are big. Or the modern ones. Yeah, these yeah. are big streamlined ones. They look kind of like sea lice. <laughs> yes, but much bigger. And uh, and so they it att- the Cybermat will attack someone and infect them with a poison and that's what they think is the plague, but people are actually just being poisoned. I love the special uh, effect they use for this, because once the Cybermat bites you, it like draws veins on your, the makeup artist has yep. drawn veins on your neck, and then they chroma key those so they change color, and it looks really cool for 1970s yeah. special <laughs> effects. You can just imagine right. that throbbing with bizarre you, colors. You think that would be a hint to them that this might not just be a regular old plague, there might be something else going on there. Right, exactly. Uh, it's a space plague. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Kelman had, for some reason, given the asteroid its actual name of Vogue, Voga, uh, uh, be, because you know, because he as as the xerographer who who surveyed it, I get to name it, and he called it Voga, which is the actual name, which is what prompts the doctor to remember where they what that planet is. He's apparent, you know, he's, he remembers every remembers everything's been everywhere, and he remembers it in connection with the Cybermen. Um, the station commander is apparently familiar with the Cybermen too, saying they all died out centuries ago. Is why would he remember them? Is there? Do we have a an in story reason? No, I assume it's just he knows his history. Right. I mean, they okay. they had had previous contact with Earth. Um. I mean, there's the wheel in space is set some centuries before this, and that was a, a okay. Cyberman misadventure. Um. And presumably there was also this war that we've never seen where humans invented the glitter gun. Right. Right. Okay. Yes, they did. They did have war with him. Uh, so um, the the doctor uh, snoops on Kelman because he's he, you know, he figures out that Kelman must be uh, an agent for the Cybermen. And uh, meanwhile, Sarah is attacked by a Cybermat. Yeah. And the the doctor, knowing what it is, throws the some gold dust that he found in Kelman's quarters at the Cybermat to kill it. That's the the thing. And so they they realize, um, they that. In order to get rid of the poison, they have to send her through the transmat down to the t- asteroid yeah, and, and then bring her back. I, and I just want to give them credit for this because the transmat is essentially a Star Trek transporter in, yep. in terms of its function and stuff. And Star Trek would not do this 
until like second season of next gen or something, right. you know, run someone through a transporter to cure a medical condition like this. Right. So uh, there's a couple of scenes, a couple of things I've skipped over this at one point, actually, where the one of the crewmen talks about how they're warning off uh, ships so they don't have a space collision as, as a, because that's somehow different from regular exactly. collisions. Uh, that, that was a, a funny line <laughs> that came through. Um, uh, the Harry and Sarah, once they beam down, Sarah immediately recovers. She's yeah. awake. She's, she's, she's got around. the poison out of her system. Yep. yep. And uh, they do not seem surprised that Vogab has an atmosphere underground and even underground lakes, uh, which yeah. is oh, interesting. And, and where they're filming this is Wookiee Hole Caves. Yay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a somewhat famous location uh, in England, which is... Um, Renowned for bad luck, yeah, uh, especially for for film crews. And in fact, they've had they had some bad luck there. Uh, there was uh, an electrician who broke his leg, and at one point, Elizabeth Sladen's the boat that she's in later, Sarah Jean Smith. It went out of control, and a stuntman got hurt Rescuer, trying to yeah. get her out of the water. He and, ended up and it was important what? he did because there was an underground waterfall that she was heading towards. Ooh. <laughs> oh, so, uh, well, that seems like good luck to me that she didn't go over. It's from a certain so, point uh, of view in these yeah. Wookiee Hole caves. Yes, Wookiee Hole. Uh, they, I don't think any Star Wars has been filmed at Wookiee Hole. There should be. Uh, so uh, Harry and Sarah are captured by the Vogans, and Kelman is captured by the station crew. Uh, and the Doctor um, basically threatens uh, threatens Kelman with death if he doesn't realize because he's a, he says I'll I'll poison you with the with the Cybermat if you don't tell me where the piece of the transmat is that you took out of it so that we can get Sarah and Harry back, uh, which is a, kind of surprising. I mean, it is, that's a pretty, uh, pretty strong threat that yep. he made against them. Uh, so the, 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 the Vogon leader reveals to Harry and Sarah that they're the, 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 the Voris, he's not the ultimate leader. This is actually yeah. a conflict within Voris the Vogons. Is, it's a very complex. Yeah. We, we get a uh, good bit of Vogan thing. politics here, actually. Voris is the head, yeah. is the chief counselor of, uh, I'm sorry, no, that's. Or, um, no, he's the head yeah, of the Voris guardians. Is the head guardian. Tyrum is the chief counselor who is a nicer guy. And, yeah. and there's this tension between. Voris and Tyrum. Tyrum believes in their traditional ways of hiding. Mm -hmm. That's kept them safe all these centuries. But Voris is like, no, we should live free and proud on the surface and so forth. Yeah. And so Voris reveals that the plan was that there would only be four humans left on Nerva when the plague had done its work. I'm not I'm not sure they ever reveal why there needed to be four people left. Yeah. Because they didn't want to pay more people. Yeah. Because. <laughs> Because the mannequins were cheaper. I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. And so there's this conflict, and that, but in the Vogans, and then there's a so this sort of rebellion and fighting between them that we get to see. Uh, they're they're having an active civil war while all this is going on. Right. Right. I have to say that Harry and Sarah bicker like an old oh, yes. married couple. This this. They do not get along. Well, <laughs> Harry protests. does. It's Sarah who's who's always the barb in this. I mean, Harry's trying yeah. to be nice. He just has this Jeeves and Worcester sensibility yeah. to him that just rubs Sarah the wrong way, and she's always complaining. Yep. He does keep calling her old girl, so that's <laughs> part of the problem. 
So the Cybermen finally they board the beacon, the you know Nerva space station beacon, uh, and stun the Doctor and the and the remaining humans, uh, and take them prisoner. And I, I noticed that when they the, the the Cybermen had them in the I guess they were crew quarters or some compartment, that the Doctor and the two crewmen are sitting down, and they're sitting in the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil pose. Yes. Did you see that? Yep. So one's covering his mouth, the Doctor's covering his ears, and one guy has his hands <laughs> over his eyes. I. I don't know what it was. They were just having fun. I gotta wonder. I imagine Tom Baker probably put him up to that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Do. Um. So the uh, the Kelman has been promised great awards, as you mentioned. Uh, the Cybermen uh, fit. The, and this must be why they wanted uh, some humans alive. The Cybermen fit the Doctor and the other two with um, bombs. Cyber bombs. Giant bombs. C- cyber bombs. <laughs> cyber bombs. Because. If they're yeah. cyber, they're bigger or something. <laughs> and uh, they 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 want them to beam down and and travel through the tunnels to, to a particular the planet point. core. Yes. <laughs> Where when the bombs that they're carrying explode. But of course, the Cybermen will let you of get course. away. In You'll time, have four, you know, 14 minutes we, we to get we, back to the surface. Just like, just, just like Kelman will have great riches and reward as the leader of a cyber fleet <laughs> yeah. or something. We totally won't bl- uh, set set those bombs off uh, as soon as you reach the location. Yeah. No, 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 we'll give you time. They say that if they can get two bombs to the center, it will fragmentize the planet. Um, and I by that they I thought they seemed to imply just cut it in half, and yeah. how that solves the problem for them. I think they meant blow it. To I bits. don't understand because you can then just mine mine either of the two halves. You really need to blow it to bits, and even that's going to be a yes. huge traffic hazard. I'm not sure they care about that. Yeah, but they're 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 sending three bombs to make certain. Other than complete obliteration, though, I mean, even if you broke the planet up into tiny chunks. People just mine those little chugs for gold. It makes it easier to get the gold, not harder. Right, and then they have to yeah. fly through it. The real way to deal with this is throw it into the sun. Yeah. Right. Uh, but they do say it'll be the biggest explosion in the in the soul, ever in the solar system or something like that. Uh, then the, 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 I like how the doctor calls the cyber leader on using the word fragmentize. I guess English grammar is not to hire the list for Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, I also noticed that these Cybermen, they get emotional yeah. and angry. Uh, they, they These are not emotionless robots. Uh, Which is so interesting because interesting. they also, from what they say in this series, you would not know that, that the Cybermen have a biological component. Right. I mean, the Doctor, whenever he talks about them, it's always about how mechanical they are. He never mentions that there's, like, a human in there. Right. Right. They, we don't get that here. In fact... You know, if this were Cybermen of the few, of the, the the new uh, Who, they would be converting the humans as they find them. They yep. would have wanted all fifty of them alive uh, in order to convert them. So, uh, interesting difference. Uh, so, meanwhile, on the planet surface, because uh, Kelman had had uh, been transmitted down with the the others, uh, and Harry, Sarah, and Kelman are being held by the uh, by Tyrum, the the legitimate leader of Boga. While Voris's troops are trying to attack them, um, and then uh, Sarah manages to get away and beams up to the station to warn the doctor, but the doctor's not even there. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, she reveals herself and, oh, don't hurt the doctor, she yells at the Cybermen. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> the sun helping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so the doctor is beamed down with his bomb buddies, and Sarah just missed them uh, in the tunnels and got back up to, to Nerva. 
Um, and so now that you have the Cybermen who have come down with the Doctor and the other bomb mules, and um, and you have lots of mindless shooting between them right. and the Vogans going on. Right. It was a little hard to keep track of which Vogans were shooting at whom uh, in the in these caves. Uh, but the the key the key plot element that happens is that the Doctor and the other bomb carriers are crawling down a central tunnel one direction, and Harry and Kelman are crawling from the other direction, and Harry causes a cave-in that kills Kelman and knocks out the Doctor. And, uh, and yeah. so then we, we, we get left and, with that. And, and, and then also, uh, while Sarah was heading up to Nerva, that's when she had the boat ride in the, in the right. lake in Wookiee Hole Caves. Um, and she, once she gets up to the station, she overhears the Cybermen talking about how they're going to blow up the bombs early. And so it's like, no, that's when she's like, no, you can't hurt the doctor. Right. Um, I like in the caves, the actors are actually getting muddy. Yep. We get this, some interesting shots of like Tom Baker's, you know, shoe getting muddy and their faces and hands are getting muddy and stuff because they're actually in a cave. They're not just on a yep. set. Um, the uh, there's a great moment where they've kind of reached the planet core and the doctor deduces that from the fact that this is pretty well solid gold as he lays his hand on an obvious piece of limestone. <laughs> um, they didn't even bother spray painting it gold. So, right. right. Uh, they probably couldn't have, though. Yeah. yeah the, 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 then yeah. Harry causes the avalanche and Kelman dies and Harry finds the doctor and immediately goes to try to unstrap his bomb, which we know is going to set it off. It's booby trapped. Yeah. Yeah, it's booby-trapped, and so one of the other humans stops Harry, and the doctor wakes up, and it's like, Harry, were you trying to take off my bomb? Yes. Did you cause the rocks to fall? Yes. And then the doctor uh, leans up and yells out at the top of his voice, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile, which is one of the best lines yes. of the series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then passes out again. Uh, and then uh, later on, uh, we have uh, Lester, who is one of the, the two bomb mules, uh, the 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 station commander has been knocked out. So Lester's the other guy. Um, and when the doctor and Harry tried to throw gold dust at the two Cybermen that had come down with them, uh, they they didn't failed. Really you know, work. They yeah. didn't work. They got cu they got caught. And so Lester jumps in and he blows up the two Cybermen by intentionally setting off the booby trap uh, mm -hmm. clasp on his bomb. Yeah, thus allowing and, the doctor to get control of the bomb control device that the Cybermen have been carrying around. Right. And so he uh, diffuses it just as the cyber leader tries to detonate the bombs because they, they're so deep, they, they've lost track of them on their yeah. sensors. And so they, they say, oh, it's, it must be time to set it off. And uh, nothing happens. So they so, fail to blow up Voga. So now the Vogans want to launch their, uh, what do they call it? Something Sky killer Striker. Sky Striker missile, which is a great yep. name, Sky Striker, uh, back at the space station. But the, doctor knows that sarah's up there now he's like just give me 15 minutes go back to the station rescue sarah if i don't come back then you can launch the missile so uh the the doctor gets up there reprograms the cybermat to inject gold dust into the cybermen the same way it was injecting poison into the humans um and then stops to quote Macbeth, dusty de death out out <laughs> sarah grabs him and yanks him back into action <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it, I mean, it's a good quote. It's a good Shakespeare quote, but you know, not the time. Yeah. Uh, this the the the, the uh, Vogans. The Cybermen have also come up with their own plan now that their the bombs they sent down have failed. 
they're loading Nerva with bombs, and they're going to slam Nerva itself into Voga while they evacuate. So that's right. their new plan. So the Sky Striker missile launches, uh, looking remarkably like an Atlas V rocket. Saturn V. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Saturn V. Yes, Saturn V. Uh, and uh, v- Voris is killed because he's trying to launch the the rocket without giving the doctor time yeah. and the other uh the other vogans uh, kill him but he manages at the very last with his very last, last breath i strike at thee with hell's last breath i never yeah. oh no that's uh con and then uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> so <laughs> voris is dead the cybermen have left the station and so the rocket needs to be redirected away from and there's no point in destroying the station now there's no cybermen there and well, so they you, need to you redirect could the rocket. Blow up the station before it smashes into your planet with all those bombs, but well, that's true. That's yeah. true. They don't think um, of that in the moment. They do redirect the rocket at the uh, Cybermen and, and blow them up, which is good. So the Cybermen are done, but the station's still headed for the planet, and uh, they have this great effect on the screen as the Doctor is trying to uh, turn the, you know, the station, pull up before they strike, and you see this rolling of the. Uh, of yeah. of the yeah. of the planet's surface rolling in front of the camera, it, which it, it, it's, it's clear funny. that what they've done is just made a fake planetscape with mountains and stuff, and put it on a drum, and they're just spinning yes, yep. the drum with the camera zoomed in on it, and they spin the drum faster and faster to right. indicate the uh, the uh, Nerva station going around the planet, about to smash into it, yep. and they get the engines online just in time just in of time uh, surprisingly and uh then the tardis with impeccable timing materializes on the station uh harry transmats up and they're off to earth i mean just, i mean this this episode ends very quickly yeah uh they're off to earth because the brigadier has sent an urgent message uh related to apparently the zygons which is to next spe- space time telegraph yeah <laughs> yes if he's got yeah cause the doctor has this telegraph tape around his neck uh, so far from the future mobile phones that uh, we will see in the new who. So, uh, and that's the end of the story. Uh, so uh, I, I'll, I'll give my assessment. I, I kind of like it. I mean, there was a few, a few points where I kind of got a little lost, but not too bad. And it did certainly didn't drag, but it also mm-hmm. didn't have, wasn't overloaded with people running about as sometimes like they it feels sometimes it feels like they're filling time with people running about. This one didn't necessarily feel like they were filling time. Yeah. It felt like they had a, the right amount of story for the right amount of time they the had. The shift from six-parters to four-parters makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. And it, they're easier to watch in order to review them for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what did you think? What did, do you guys have any you know uh, notes or any uh, last uh, assessment of this episode? Just one, one small thing. Uh, I enjoyed the episode, too. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I got a kick out of all the door controls on Nerva Station look to me like the, uh, I can't think of the electrical component, but it's the heat sink and electrical component yes. from a PC power supply. You know, <laughs> yes, every power like- supply has those, you know, and it, it looked just like, and all you touch is the electrical component. That's how it opens. <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. Doctor almost lost his arm trying to get through one of those with the door. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. So I, uh, I liked how, uh, so they, the Cybermen, when they strap the bombs to him, they tell him the bombs are going to go off once the meter gets to the red zone. And, mm-hmm. and they, so we, they send down the Cybermen as monitors for the bomb mules, and they're carrying this suitcase-like bomb control unit that has a meter on it. You know, it looks kind of like the meter you'd see on a VW meter. Um, right. And so it's got a needle as an indicator of how close we are to the red zone. 
but it's clearly meaningless because the red zone changes sizes as the meter moves. And so they keep zooming in on that and we see the needle moving, but it's different every time and it's not in sequence. It's not like we're getting closer to the red zone. The red zone is changing size. And so it's just, <laughs> yeah. and it's not, it, it goes back and forth from being big to small. And so yeah. it's just meaningless zooming in on this thing without it telling us a consistent story. So they, they obviously cut those scenes in, in the incorrect order. Yeah. I'm sure they meant it to look like, you know, every time they'd show it to be a little further along, it's a quarter, it's a half, you know, but somewhere in editing, somebody wasn't paying attention and yeah. spliced them in wrong or they just didn't care or something. But yeah, yeah. that's a plausible theory. Um, I liked how when, um, Tyram is dressing down Voris at the end of the episode. They're talking about once we survive this, you're going to be put on trial. And 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 he's like, no, the people are going to support me because I'm their liberator. And and uh, Tyram is saying, you you had contact with alien species. You exposed this to the galaxy and so forth. There are there are no greater crimes in our calendar. And Voris shoots back yeah. your calendar. And I'm going, what an interesting use of the word calendar. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it comes from, it ultimately comes from an old uh, v- verb that means to call out, um, but mm-hmm. it's been connected with our meaning of calendar since Roman times. I mean, the calends is the first mm. of the month in the Roman calendar yep. system. And so I thought, wow, what a fascinating, obsolete use of the word calendar. Uh, we also had a nice bit mm-hmm. of Latin uh, after the doctor pulls i mean he's repaired the engines on nerva beacon and so they pull out of this death dive towards voga and he says cogito ergo sum and sarah says what and he says i think therefore it missed and it's like okay but that's not what cogito ergo sum means in latin it's i think therefore i am or i think therefore i exist which actually is appropriate in this circumstance, yes. he figured out, he thought, he figured out how to fix the engines so they still exist. Um, yep. But because he mistranslates it, they just misled all of the kids in the audience watching this in the 1970s, <laughs> including me. Well, I remember this I, episode from the 70s, and I thought that that's what he must have said in Latin, and it wasn't. See, see, I, I of course, you know, watching it now, I, I figured it was just as a pun of, you know, I think, therefore, I am, you know. That well, I still am, so therefore we missed. Yeah, but but the poor kids of including Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, I see. Poor okay. little Jimmy. Well, it was meant yeah. as a pun, yeah. playing off of the the, the phrase, yeah. not as a literal translation. That could that makes sense. But I was misled in the seventies. Also, um, I love how when the when they use the sky striker to blow up the Cyberman ship, we have this big explosion, and then the wreckage of the ship obviously falls down in slow motion <laughs> as if there were gravity in space <laughs> I've, i remember several science fiction shows of the 70s era where uh ships would blow up and then uh, or better where they would hang and dangle on strings well, the i was gonna say it's not even in the 70s i remember um the episode of uh star trek where uh next generation where um fraser's on it oh yeah they're in the time loop and there's several of those explosions where you see the saucer section just dangling there from the cable. <laughs> yes. I, so, and that that's late 80s, so it didn't improve much. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> guys, just film it from the top or even better from below 
And that way, right. the, the debris will seem to go in all directions. Yeah. This is what Lucasfilm figured out uh, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, uh, good. Those are some good uh, uh, comments. Uh, by the way, we do have uh, some feedback mm. and, and a little bit of news we want to share before we before we finish up. Uh, there is a, a headline from Big Finish. Now, remember Big Finish Audio Productions. Uh, they are celebrating 20 years of Big Finish produ- uh, audio productions of Doctor Who with a 20-hour live stream uh, nice. so that you can listen live. So you, so it's, you jump in, you know, you, you know, you don't, it's, it's streaming as you go. So this you is, jump this into is the what TV, TV used to be like, folks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. before Netflix. Yeah, so we'll have a link in the show notes to the, to the announcement and the links to the, to the live stream. I'm trying to think of... Uh, where when exactly i forgot to put it in my notes when the stream is uh but it's going to be in july uh hopefully we have not missed oh the 20th and 21st of july so you should get this a few days before so uh don't wait listen to the podcast immediately so you get the news well we've got the 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 links out elsewhere too so uh that'll be fun uh hopefully you'll get a chance to listen to some of that and maybe pick up some big finish still on our list of things to do is to talk about uh, some more big finish audio productions and maybe our our favorite. Yes. Uh, so also uh, we have some feedback from listeners uh, on our partners in crime episode. That was the one where uh, the 10th Dr. David Tennant uh, partners up uh, with his new companion, uh, Donna Noble and uh, Ramey Leroy writes, I was going to tell you that deadlock is a term used for traffic and then realized I was thinking of gridlock. Oh. <laughs> That's okay, Ray, be that. I've done the same thing. Yeah, no feeling. <laughs> well, and she says, one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, and so much fun to listen to you talk about it. A relief as a fan to step aside from the romance and just have fun with these two. I always giggle when they're miming to each other in that scene. Yeah, that is a great, when they're miming to each other. Um, <laughs> and then uh, says, love the cross-promotion to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious Un- World. Uh, she says, Universal U- World is my favorite podcast. It sounds like you didn't know you were going to say that, my, my little bit at the end. about uh, I didn't. <laughs> I did not tell him ahead of time. Uh, yes, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, Kelly Brown writes, I'm so happy you're going through this season, the, the fourth season of The New Who. Donna was my favorite companion. That seems to be a, actually a popular sentiment online. I've been seeing a lot of comments mm-hmm. from, uh, from listeners well, that so. Donna is their favorite. So. And, and actually, if you like Donna Noble and you'd like to see more adventures with her and David Tennant, Big Finish is, is producing them. So they've, there's a couple of sets out already with uh, uh, Catherine Tate and David Tennant as the Doctor and Donna. Well, and, and you, they're not just together in that, but they're also on several other things. I think the Americans, it's called, and a couple other projects. Apparently, they really like working with each other because they've done quite a few projects after they sir they were on doctor who together so this this americans is not the same as the russian spy no no one no set no. in the 80s it this is a com a, a, a sitcom of some sort about a british couple that moves to america okay yeah i i haven't i i've seen references to it i don't think it's out yet but it looks like david Tennant and Catherine tate it's going to be awesome there are a lot of youtube channels that have exactly that theme exactly <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, get it we're we're glad to be getting your feedback and uh and we we hope you will send more uh before we finish out i do want to thank our uh patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including paul b les h andrew g ricardo g and john s their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who 
and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And once you're there, you can either make a one-time donation via PayPal, or you could go to, uh, it'll, there's a link to our Patreon page there if you want to become an, uh, an ongoing uh, pledger, if, uh, support us on an ongoing basis. We really do appreciate that, and it's, it's really needed. We really do need your help. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Revenge of the Cybermen? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us feedback or send an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the David Tennant and Catherine Tate adventure, Planet of the Ood. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Right. This is going to be fun.